All right, well, it's, uh, it's kind of nice when the kids go out, isn't it, in a church service, but then we're sort of, we're saddened because we look around and it's empty and, uh, uh, and then people start coming back eventually, but uh, that's the way it goes. And uh, thank you for having Helen and myself and Mark uh, for this weekend. It's uh, uh, going to be a joy to get to know all of you, Lord willing. Uh, please feel free to come up and say hello and uh, we'll make it our business to say hello to you as well. And um, uh, again, thank you to Ronnie for that uh, special introduction, and uh, it is great to see yourself and Gina, and I haven't seen your many little ones before, uh, so um, it's great to see that you've obeyed the Lord's command to be fruitful and multiply, and uh, um, so yeah, but uh, what a blessing to be with you, and uh, again, over the, the next couple of days, we're looking at a topic, um, a series, I guess, which I've titled Life After Death, What Is Next? For the people of God, and uh, it's a really important question that uh, we should be asking and seeking answers for. So, uh, this session just now, uh, it's on heaven, uh, titled it "The Intermediate Heaven," and the session after this will be, I guess, kind of part two. What I would say from the outset is that there are a number of notes that I've given to you. Uh, they're there, sort of, as a guide for you to follow along with me, and you'll probably notice that when I speak. There's a whole bunch of references that I turn to and read from, and sometimes you may not be quick enough to write them down. So what I've done is put them into a, uh, a format of notes so that you don't have to worry. It's all there. If you miss something, uh, go back later on, look up the verses, go through them. Uh, I've done that so that you'll be encouraged, and it kind of serves as somewhat of a resource for you later. Uh, if you do have any questions about anything that we've discussed um, come and see me. I'm happy to answer any questions. If there are any really tricky, hard questions, uh, go to your pastor. That's why he's here. Uh, don't come to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, look, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful topic which really gets us thinking and I pray would encourage our hearts. It is interesting though in preparing this material and thinking through it, one thing's pretty obvious uh, from church to church. That is that most believers know very little about their eternal destiny. And there may be one or two of you who have researched this, who have studied the book of Revelation and Daniel and uh, various passages of Scripture inside and out. But if you were to interview Christians generally and you would ask them what is heaven like, generally the answer is this. Well, it's this kind of non-spiritual realm where uh, it's almost like a dreamlike state uh, where heaven is filled with angels and believers floating on clouds, playing harps. And you might have that perspective of heaven right now. You don't have to put your hand up, but generally that's the case. And generally there aren't many sermons on the topic of heaven or, uh, or the millennial kingdom or the eternal state or anything like that. But the reality is God has laid out for us in his word a prophetic timetable, right? Uh, God is not a God who is randomly just causing things to happen when he feels like them. We can look back on history and we can see that everything that has already occurred has been to a very specific timetable. Going forward, the same is the case. But most people are unaware of this. Most people don't uh, see God as someone who has ordained and orchestrated all of the circumstances and all that is to come. Personally, my testimony when I first came to faith in Christ what blew me away was that very truth, 
that I could go to the Old Testament Scriptures and read very descriptive prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ and to see them fulfilled to the letter. I was blown away by this. And then I made the next step and I said, well, okay, there's a whole bunch of prophecies which haven't been fulfilled. And you know what? I got really into this and I'm like, wow, this is going to happen and that is going to happen. And I probably spent too much time in the book of Revelation. You, you kind of know when you've done that, when you start having nightmares and so forth. And um, so I had to back off a little bit, but it's wonderful that we have scripture. We have the word of God to be able to make sense of what is to come. Uh, I remember asking a dear uh, older seasoned saint at church and he was, he was alone. His wife had just passed, unfortunately, and I said to him, Ralph, so uh, in light of all that we know about heaven and going to heaven, what are you looking forward to most? And I wasn't sure what he was going to say, but uh, sadly listening to him, his one answer, which was heartfelt and I, uh, I agree with, he just wanted to see his wife. And that's lovely, but to, to sort of ask him a few more questions, his understanding of what was next for him uh, was very limited. He really didn't understand a whole lot because he'd just never been taught. Um, so we, we really need to get our head around this. Uh, we've been given the word of God for a very good reason. In fact, Revelation 22.7 says this, and these are the words of the Lord, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And the idea behind the word keep is to watch attentively, to keep your eyes fixed upon without deviation. Uh, and we had to do that with regards to the Scriptures, particularly the book of Revelation in the context there. For me personally, well, I'm probably just like you. I have moments of sadness. I have moments of fear. We look at what's going on in the world around us and we just become saddened. We become sorrowful. You might even face moments of depression and grief or whatever it is. Now, I've found personally that there is nothing more refreshing than withdrawing from the circumstances of life and taking, a, I guess, a bird's eye view of, 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 of life and realizing and remembering that this life that we live is but for a moment, right? The scripture says about man that his days are like the grass. It's there one moment, it dries up, it dies, and it's gone. And sometimes we can get bogged down by the circumstances of life and we can think that this life is all there is and we can make much of it. But then when you withdraw and you move back and you realize, hang on a moment, and I'm 46, I'm halfway there, I believe, I've probably 50 to 60% through my life, there's not, it's not a long life in the context of eternity, is it? It's very short, it's very brief. And we can consider the truths in Revelation 20 and 21 and 22 and, and I do that in those moments and they thrill my heart. They, they fill me with joy and they fill me with peace. And I can get to that point where I say, you know what? It doesn't matter that much what happens to me in this life. It really doesn't matter if I go without this or go without that or I face hardship or persecution, or I suffer, or I'm physically ill, it doesn't actually matter that much because life is so short and so brief and my eternal destiny is actually secure and safe. I'm going to be with the Lord for all eternity. And that changes my attitude. It, it replaces 
sorrow with joy and, and, and gladness in the Lord. Paul understood this. Paul actually spoke of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what he says here in verse 16. Paul says, trying to encourage the Corinthians, we do not lose heart. The outer, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, I'm convinced that when we have a clear, a rich, and a vivid understanding of what awaits us in the life to come, then our hearts are immediately attached to God and the things of God and the coming of his kingdom, right? When we can fix our eyes and our minds in that place with that perspective, it changes how we live in the present. Have any of you read the book Pilgrim's Progress? John Bunyan? Yep. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to. Uh, The second most popular book in all of history aside from the Bible Uh, It's a book that I try and read at least once a year, if not twice. In Pilgrim's Progress, the the character, as you know, is Christian. And Christian has as his number one goal making it to the celestial city. And it's a very narrow, dangerous path that he walks down and and it's a, a portrait of life, if you like, the many dangers on the way. But his goal and his hope and his focus is that celestial city in the distance, and that's where he's heading and nothing is stopping him along the way. And that's what life is like to be for us. That's what life is meant to be like. We are meant to be focused on the eternal, things that are of an eternal nature, and they thrill our hearts. And when we have that perspective, we are filled with joy and peace. And there's something else that is wonderful that occurs when that is our focus, And I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, but when you are focused on the kingdom to come, uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the establishment of his kingdom, that truth and that focus detaches you from this world, right? The things of this life, uh, we willingly give up. We don't hold on to them so tightly. We're not so precious about them. We have a kingdom-minded attitude and we very quickly realize that life here on earth is not about building roots deep into this world. Uh, We recognise that we're just passing through. We're aliens in this world. We're not citizens of this world. And we're here not to make much about this life, but to do the work of the Lord in his kingdom to come and in this life now. There's a negative side to this, and it's kind of a warning. If we lose sight of the heavenly vision, so to speak, if we forget that there is a kingdom to come, if we make little of what is next for us, the people of God, then I'm convinced that we will naturally make much of this life, right? Because if you don't understand what is to come and you just think, well, I'm just going to be with God and I'll be in heaven and I don't really know what it'll be like. I might be floating around in the clouds and in peace and happiness, If that is your perspective, then I'm convinced that you will naturally make much of this life. 
And that is the perspective of many people. And I'm convinced that when that is the case, we'll hang on to worldly things and we will probably become very worldly and we will fail to live our lives for the kingdom of God. So this is really important to understand. This is really important to understand. So I trust that as we spend the next few sessions focusing on this, that it will thrill your hearts, that it will encourage your hearts, that it will challenge you and maybe even correct some of the areas where you've been misled or misguided or not really understood this. I want to ask, though, before we begin, that uh, you might join me and uh, bow with me as we pray and seek the Lord's face. Our Lord now God, we want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to meet together this morning. Father God, we want to pray and ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would move amongst us, that you would bring us conviction, bring clarity to our hearts and minds. And Father God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would bring much encouragement to our souls. May you help us to see the truths of your word with great clarity. Father, I pray that you would broaden and deepen our understanding. And I pray, Father God, that you would help us to to have a deeper and richer understanding of the person of your Son, of his great work on the cross of Calvary, of the great redemption that he has purchased and accomplished for us. Father, I pray that you would cause us to, to leave here this morning being altogether changed. Father, I pray that you might grant me the grace to speak with clarity. May you speak through me to your children that they may be built up and that you might be glorified this morning. We want to give you thanks for these things and we ask for your blessing in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. You'll see there in your notes that there's a number of quotes in green and then subheadings and headings and uh, different references in Scripture. There's a great quote there by D.L. Moody and he says this, Surely it is not wrong for us to think and talk about heaven. I'd like to find out all I can about it. I expect to live there through all eternity. If I were going to dwell in any place in this country, if I were going to make it my home, I would inquire about its climate, about the neighbours I would have, about everything. If soon you were going to immigrate, that is the way you would feel. Well, we are going to immigrate in a very little while. We are going to spend eternity in another world. Is it not natural that we should look and listen and try to find out who is already there and what is the route to take? End quote. That's a great, great quote, isn't it? He has a great perspective, a great attitude towards heaven. He hasn't just said, well, we can't really know much about it. Um, it it's very hard to understand. We'll just push it to the side and just hope that when we get there, it'll be all that we think it will be. He, he challenges us to make inquiries, to understand this. And there's a first point I want to make, uh, and, and this is probably the most obvious point in all of Christendom, and that is this, that we are actually eternal beings, right? We are eternal beings. Sometimes, though, we forget this. We are eternal beings. At the moment of conception, the moment you are created by God in the womb, you become an eternal being with a soul that can never and will never cease to exist, right? It's nice to stop and remember that, isn't it? Because we forget these things. 
And when you see other human beings around you, the saved, the unsaved, realize that every single one of us is an eternal being with an eternal destination. So that being the, the case, the question then isn't, will I enter into eternity or not? But rather, the only question one should ask is, where will I spend eternity? Because eternity is a certainty for everyone who's ever been born and created. I did a little bit of research on uh, statistics regarding death and birth and so forth. Uh, statistically, 107 people die and enter into eternity every minute. 107. And that's staggering, isn't it? We don't think of it that way. And a lot of those people are going to an eternity that they're not prepared for. A lot of people are going to eternity thinking that there is no eternity, thinking that they simply cease to exist. And we know from a biblical perspective that those who go off into eternity are, are in one of two groups. They're either in the group where they are saved and they go to an eternal home in heaven or they are the unsaved, people who haven't been rescued by the Lord and haven't come to him for salvation and they go to eternal judgment away from the presence of the Lord. The Bible's very clear that the saved, upon leaving this life, go into the presence of the Lord in heaven. Ecclesiastes 12, 7, listen to this. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. John eleven twenty five, that wonderful account where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus speaks to Martha, I believe it is here, and he says this in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, that's a wonderful passage. And often I uh, seem to do a lot of funerals for some reason, not many weddings, a lot of funerals. Uh, that verse brings comfort to everyone. It brings comfort to the believer because death is inevitable. We all must go that way one day. But the promise of Christ there is that if you have believed in Christ, then even though you may die, you will die, you will live forever because you have believed in him. So that's a promise we hold on to, right? An eternal destiny in heaven with Christ. But the unsaved, well, we know from various scriptures that those who haven't been reconciled to God through believing in Christ, go to eternal judgment. Your mind's probably immediately gone to the parable in Luke 16 of Lazarus and the rich man uh, and, and a very real parable with truth that is real and, and, and factual um, where uh, the rich man goes to Hades because he has refused to believe in God and follow God. He has lived for himself. And so we know and we understand that those who haven't been reconciled leave this world and go to the next unprepared, unready, having refused to bend the knee in this life, they go off into judgment. And that is very sobering, is it not? It is very sobering when you stop and consider it. But this first part in this series, um, we're going to look at heaven, as I said. Uh, heaven, as we know, is that wonderful place where God resides where the Son is presently at the Father's right hand. Uh, it's also that place where angels dwell and they gather together in festal gathering, the Scripture tells us. It's also that place where the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints dwell together in peace. 
in harmony with God, with one another. Uh, But before we look at heaven itself, uh, the particulars of the who, the what, the where, the why, all those questions that we have, I want to look at something that's very important because you might look at your present life now here and heaven for you may be a, a distant reality that you are completely detached from until you go to be there with the Lord. But we relate to heaven now in a very important way. And I want to look at our relationship to heaven while we are presently here on earth as believers because there is a strong connection that we can lose sight of. The Bible tells us something very important, that when you are saved, the moment you are born again, you are adopted into God's family and you actually become a citizen of heaven. You realise that? The moment you are saved, you become a citizen of heaven. The Bible tells us that this world and the people of this world who were born into this world are under the control and the influence of Satan. This is his world. It's his domain. And we as believers have been rescued out of that that kingdom, that uh, rule and reign of Satan. We still live here, but we are no longer under his authority. And we change citizenships, if you like. We don't have a dual citizenship. We change allegiances. We go from being citizens of this world with the deadness of it to citizens of heaven being made alive by Christ. Philippians 3.20, Paul says to the Philippian believers, our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians 2.9, listen to this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And you know what? We might feel like we're the minority here on earth, and we are, and you as an individual might feel isolated, alone, cut off. Maybe you're the last member of your family who's left alive. Whatever it may be, when you realize these truths that you are members of the household of God and that heaven is your actual home, it brings joy and peace to your soul. And that's the idea behind these verses to inform us, to remind us, to encourage our souls. So we are citizens of heaven, but there's something else that goes along with that. The Bible also teaches that our names are written in heaven's roll book, right? Uh, the, The register of citizens in heaven. Our names are recorded there. We are registered in heaven's roll book, and that is a wonderful thing to consider. It's the the heavenly census. Who belongs here? Who abides here? Who dwells here? Well, we check the list. And believer, you, child of God, if you have come to Christ for salvation, your name is on that list, and it cannot and will not ever be removed. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us this. But there are a number of other verses that I want to draw your attention to to encourage you with this. Luke 10 verse 20, Jesus talking to his disciples said this, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You get that? Right now, your name, if you have believed and you are born again, your name is written in heaven. You are marked down as a citizen. Hebrews 12, 22, and this is wonderful. Again, another wonderful picture. The writer to the Hebrews says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's speaking about heaven. 
and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. They are registered in heaven. And that is a, a perfect passive participle. It's an action that's already been done and it has ongoing, continuing, unalterable ramifications and actions. You are enrolled and it cannot be changed. And he says this, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So there's that wonderful picture of heaven with the angels gathered in festal gathering. And the scripture there tells us that we are enrolled in the record of that place. Philippians 4.3, one final verse. The situation is one of con uh, conflict. Euodia and Sintichi are arguing and Paul wants these women to be uh, helped and reconciled. And it says here, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And again, the, the idea behind helping these women to be reconciled is based there upon the fact that they are fellow workers and they're actually citizens of heaven. Their names are in the book of life. And it's like you are family. What are you doing? Be reconciled. Be at peace with one another. So as we speak, our names are written in heaven's roll book. Uh, but there is another present reality that we need to be aware of, and that is this, that there is right now for you, the child of God, an inheritance that awaits you. Right now in heaven, there is an inheritance that God has prepared for you. And when you go to be with him, you will receive it. John MacArthur says it this way, Peter showed those persecuted Christians how to look past their troubles to their eternal inheritance. Life, righteousness, joy, peace, perfection, God's presence, Christ's glorious companionship, rewards, and all else God has planned is the Christian's heavenly inheritance, end quote. What a summary. What a summary. Now you think about this logically. When you are in your moments of sorrow and the context there was suffering, and you are going through great difficulties to stop and realize that even if everything is stripped away from me in this life, even if I must suffer, be persecuted, be robbed, my possessions taken and my life threatened, it actually doesn't matter because I have an eternal inheritance. And we look around us now, don't we? And we see the world scrambling to develop and, and build an inheritance for their kids and their grandkids. And the wealth builds and the goods build and the security and the, the fighting and the scrambling to make oneself secure. We don't live like that and we're not meant to live like that. And what happens? A person builds and accumulates, they get older and they die. Naked they came, naked they leave and they go who knows where depending upon their faith in Christ. And it all gets passed to someone else. It's the most futile, foolish exercise in the world, isn't it? That's why Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that will not rust or decay. 1 Peter 1.3, again, Peter wanting to encourage believers who are losing everything. 
who were even losing their loved ones to martyrdom and so forth, he says this, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Now, take a look at the qualities and the characteristics of this inheritance. He says this, This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Uh, isn't that encouraging? And I preached on this a number of months ago. What an encouraging set of verses to remind these believers that, you know what, the earthly inheritance, it is perishing, it does fade away, it could be stolen, it could be taken, it's not to be held on to, but the one that is in heaven, it, it won't diminish, it won't be stolen because God guards it, it won't fade away because it's purified in heaven in the presence of God. Friends, hold on to this and hope for this and long for this. Let go of the here and now, live for the Lord, trust the Lord, and look forward to what is to come, not what you presently have. And that is there waiting for us right now, friends. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Paul says this to the church at Colossae, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Why? He tells us, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So he's wanting to motivate them to, to not serve one another, uh, looking at one another as the objects whom you are serving, but rather serve one another as though you're serving Christ. And all in the context of the fact that the Lord is going to return and he's going to reward you for your service to him. The things that you've done to one another, You've done as unto him, and he will reward you for those things. So an inheritance awaits us. But there's another final present reality that we need to consider, and, and that is this, that in heaven there is a whole host of people who we get to be with, right? Uh, and we are connected to them right now. The Bible tells us that our Father, our God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, they await us in heaven, and, and, and that is a present reality. The Lord our God doesn't become our Father when we go to be with him. He already is our Father. Uh, and that is a truth to hold on to. John 14 verse 1, Jesus wanting to comfort believers, again says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will what? And this is the point. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So again, the point is this. That is a present reality. Christ has promised that he is coming to take us to be with him. And he waits for us and we are his children. We are the father's children. Christ is our Lord, our redeemer, our savior. And he is coming again to take us to be with him. Philippians 3.14, Paul says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because God is our Father, there is going to be that wonderful day where he calls us back to be with him. Philippians 1.21, a final verse here. Paul says this, and I love his attitude. I love the perspective he has about the here and the, and the now and the coming. He says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. 
Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So even here, Paul is still alive and all he's thinking is, I know Christ, I love Christ. To live is to live, is to live for Christ, to die is gain. I'm connected to Christ in every way. We could also say that even right now there is a present reality where in heaven there is a family of the people of God who are waiting for us. Perhaps your loved ones, your relatives who have already gone and left this world, who have believed in Christ, who are saved, they are in heaven right now. They are in heaven right now. We also know that the entire family of God, every single believer, Old Testament, New Testament, who has left this world is presently in heaven. And we are intimately connected with them right now. We are family, though we're parted by um, a gap and a distance of some kind because we are not in that realm at all. We could also consider who is in heaven, the heroes of the faith, um, Adam, Eve, Noah, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, Elijah, Elisha, the prophets, the apostles, um, all from the redeemed church age and the Old Testament age, those mentioned in Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith who served the Lord. And this is a wonderful thing to consider, isn't it? When you stop and realize that they are your family, they're not with us. And one believer died 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, but we are family and we are connected with them even now. And all that needs to happen is for us to leave this body and we are instantly reunited with them. I love this quote here by D.L. Moody and I kind of want to have this on my gravestone or something like that. He said this, Soon you will read in the newspaper that I am dead. Don't believe it for a moment for I will be more alive than ever before, end quote. Soon you will read in the newspaper that I am dead. Don't believe it for a moment, for I will be more alive than ever before. Isn't that wonderful? He was absolutely convinced that when he died, he would truly come to life, leave this sin-cursed body and live with God forever. So that's kind of an introduction. Um, and you're probably thinking, well, okay, well, tell us about heaven. What's it like? Um, uh, that's a good question to ask. What is heaven like? Well, I want to touch on one point briefly now, but then in the next message, really pull it apart and, and understand it a bit, bit better, I guess we could say it that way. Um, I want to start with this first point, and we know in Scripture that Paul, the apostle, uh, was given the blessed experience of being caught up into what he called the third heaven, and some have heard that statement in 2 Corinthians 12 and thought, well, okay, well, are there different levels in heaven? And, you know, some religions, false religions, believe that. Um, when you hear in Scripture of there being a first heaven, a second heaven, and a third heaven, what it means is this. The first heaven is our atmosphere out here. The first heaven is that place where the birds fly, the aeroplanes fly. Um, it's the sky out there. The second heaven is where the planets are, where the stars are where the satellites go. And the third heaven is the realm that we know as heaven, where God dwells and the people of God dwells. So that has been a point of confusion for some people, but I thought I'd just start by making that point. But there's one thing to note about the present heaven, and that is this. The present heaven is temporal, right? The present heaven is temporal. It is not going to last forever. And that's why it's often spoken of as being the intermediate heaven. 
And the idea there is that in a coming day, it will be replaced by a new heaven. And we'll talk about this in a moment. It's referred to as the intermediate heaven. And people hear that and go, oh, wow, okay. I thought I'd die and go to be with the Lord and be in heaven forever. Not that heaven. It's got an expiry date. The Lord has determined that that is the case. Now, the Old Testament spoke of this. Listen to this, Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I create a new heavens and a new earth. 2 Peter 3.10, and, and Peter launches uh, in reference to that verse in Isaiah. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. So that's the idea that the stars and the moon and the sky will just vanish and be done away with. And he says here, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire? Do you get that? The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for what? A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now we know from different passages of Scripture, and we'll look at this later, that uh, the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord, the stars will fall from the sky, the moon will turn to blood, and the sun will be blackened. And so there's this uh, cosmic upheaval where the stars that we can see in the sky will just fall or be dissolved. I believe that that's what Peter is talking about there. And the idea of the earth being renewed or remodeled, well, some people might say that it's, it's replaced entirely, but most people would argue that it's renewed. It gets a complete makeover by fire, if you like, and the Lord creates it all new. Revelation 21.1 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's clear, but when's this going to happen? And, and that's the obvious question. Uh, we'll kind of get to that if we can, but there's a sequence of events that must occur before the new heaven and the new earth come about. So there's many questions to ask regarding heaven and what heaven is like. Um, who is there? What's it like? What's living there like? If I can give you a brief bullet point summary, let me just do that and we'll pull this apart in the next message. We know that in the present heaven, there is the presence of the Lord. Uh, we will be with our God. We will be with our Lord. There'll be celebration. There'll be rejoicing. There'll be worship. There will be praise. We will be cognitive, relational people. There'll be no fogginess or cloudiness. We will be free from sin and we will be alive like never before. We will not be ghosts. We will not be apparitions. Uh, we will have a form, not the resurrected form, if we go to be with the Lord before the resurrection, but we will have a form of some kind. We will be working and serving God. We will be in a place of peace and comfort and we will be filled with awe and wonder at the majesty of God and his creation which will be entirely new to us, right? Heaven, uh, and this is a, an important point to consider that we'll look at later, heaven is a real, physical, tangible place. 
I want to try later on to undo that thinking that we might have of heaven being this mystical kind of uh, spiritual place that has no physical properties at all. The question then is, in light of what we've just looked at by way of introduction, how should this impact our lives here on earth right now? Well, for those of us who know the Lord, the truths that we've already looked at and the truths that we will look at, they should fill us with joy, right? They should fill us with hope and with peace. And if you are born again and you are a child of God, these truths are unchangeable, unalterable realities. You can't be unsaved. You can't be made filthy again if you've been cleansed and washed. The scripture tells us that we've been forgiven for all of our sins, past, present and future. And the righteous life that Jesus Christ lived, obeying every single commandment, is credited to our account at the moment of salvation. You can't undo the perfect work of Christ. Therefore, these realities regarding heaven and our eternal home are fixed and are unalterable. And that should fill you with joy. No one can steal heaven from you. No one can prevent you from making it there. It's a reality that is fixed and unchangeable right now for you and I. I think that should change us in regards to how we live now, the calling of God upon our lives. We should be overwhelmed by the grace of God, right? Overwhelmed by the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And we should be those who say, here I am, Lord, take me. Do whatever you will with me. Use me in whatever way you want me to be used. You've rescued me. You've redeemed me. You've saved me from the pit of hell. My life is yours. Take me. Use me. That should be the conviction, not just of the pastor or the missionary, but of every single person, right? We don't do it because we feel indebted. We do it out of love as a response of love to the Lord. And friends, we should be overwhelmingly desired, desirous to preach the gospel to the lost when we understand the realities of the next life and the fact that so many people die every moment and go to a Christless eternity our heart should be to reach the lost with the gospel, just like it was with Christ. I'll finish this session with this quote by George Sweeting. He said of Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan, eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. Eternity is the grand climax of all history. It is the age to come when every person will acknowledge Jesus as Lord, eternity will bring to this world all God intended for us. Sin will have been judged and banished. Rewards will have been presented. Life will continue with new vitality, meaning and perfection. What an age that will be, end quote. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for this opportunity to begin looking at heaven to begin looking at the, the, the perfections and the beauty that you have created for those who love you and who have given their lives to you. Father God, I pray that you would continue to transform us, grow us, cause us, Lord God, to be more in love with you, to be a people who are more and more grateful every moment of every day because of who you are, because of what you have done and because of what you deserve. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your joy I pray that you would fill us with your love, that we might be acutely aware of who you are and what your word has to say regarding 
all that we're studying this morning and this afternoon and tomorrow. We give you thanks for this time and we do ask for your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.